Well, good morning. I'm Jeff Anderson. I'm not here for the first time. Uh, if, if I haven't met you before, I look forward to getting to know you a little bit. Um, but it's a pleasure to be here. I'm going to be coming up through the month of August, not next week, but next last two weeks of August as well. And I count it a privilege to be here. Thank you for the leaders of the church that would extend the invitation and let me be joining you. I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew 28, please. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be preaching some messages in the church service from the book of Matthew. We're going to actually begin with the end. Beginning with the end in mind sometimes is a good idea. So we're going to let this passage kind of just introduce us to this whole book. For those of you that are physically able, would you stand with me, please, with reverence for the Lord and His holy word? And I'll read as you follow along in your own Bible. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and this is the word of the Lord. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please be seated? So the book of Matthew is all about the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as the rightful king. The rightful king of the Jews, but also the rightful king of uh, all of the universe. Maybe some of you young people, some of the children are familiar with the story of King Arthur of Camelot. You may remember some of those, uh, well, I guess they were, they were fables, they were stories, they were legends. So in that legend, I remember that they were trying to establish the rightful authority of who would be the king. And what they had done is they had taken a sword and it had been put into a stone. I've seen different images of it. Some of it is like a big natural looking boulder with a sword stuck in it. Sometimes it's like a, a stone, like an iron tool that had been used. But we're, for us, we're going to imagine it's a big old boulder. A uh, sword has been stuck in it. And the legend is whoever is able to pull that sword out is able to be the rightful king. They're establishing themselves as the authority of the king. And so the legend was that there would be all kinds of mighty men, strong, powerful warriors who would come and try to use their sheer force to pull. And they'd pull as hard as they could, but they were never able to move the sword. And then there are other people, well, they came through ingenuity, scientists, engineers. There are people who came and said, hey, you know what? If we use a lever or if we use a pulley, we'll be able to manipulate that. So they would use all sorts of levers to try to remove the sword, but they were never able to get it out. Then there are even other people who came and thought, well, you know what, if we use sorcery or magic of some sort, then we'll just try to figure out how to magically reduce this thing. But they, too, were never able to move it. Finally, one day, a young kid, just an orphan boy, happened to come along and grab, that, grab the handle of the sword and pull it. When he leaned back, the sword came out, demonstrating that he wasn't just any or orphan boy. This was actually Arthur, the rightful king of Camelot. What I love about that legend is it establishes the rightful king. It establishes his authority that he could be recognized. Now I'm going to go way beyond any kind of legend or fable into a real life story and tell you that the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is written to establish the authority of Jesus as the rightful king of the Jews, the rightful king of the universe. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, This book is the generation or the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. To say that he's the son of David and the son of Abraham is establishing his authority, that he is the right heir to this throne, that he is the rightful Messiah, and that he's the rightful king. 
all of which is establishing His authority. The word authority is used and is very important throughout this book by which we're going to find and discover that Jesus has all authority or all power in heaven and on earth. And so He has the authority. Well, as such, He's the rightful King of uh, Son of David. To be the Son of David meant that He is fulfilling all of the Davidic covenant. God had come to David and said, David, you're a man after my own heart. I'm going to choose you to not only sit upon my throne, but I'm going to choose all of your descendants. And there's going to be one of the line of David He's going to be the branch of Jesse. He is going to be the one whose kingdom will be established. And here's what he said about him. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And here's what it says. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. That means that this Messiah, this son of David, this rightful heir, is going to be the one who establishes a kingdom a kingdom that will last forever, a kingdom that will expand forever, a kingdom that will be invincible. And Jesus, as the son of David, is the rightful heir of that promise. He is the one who fulfills the Davidic covenant. But the passage goes on. Not only the rightful son of David, but it also says, I'm presenting to you the son of Abraham. That means that he fulfills all of the Abrahamic covenant. When you say Abrahamic covenant, what's that mean? That means that God made promises. And when God made a promise to Abraham, He said, Abraham, I'd like where you're living now, but I want you to get up. Leave your father, leave your father's house. You're going to go to a whole new land. You're going to go to a whole new place because I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to bless you. And everybody has said, I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And listen to this. Through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And so through some, some heir of Abraham, there's going to be a blessing that would pass not just to sons of Abraham or the children of Abraham or the nation Israel, but there would be a covenant by which all nations of the earth are blessed. And when this book is presenting Jesus as the rightful son of David and the son of Abraham, it's telling us that Jesus is the one who fulfills God's promises to David, but also God's promises to Abraham. And through Jesus... All nations would be blessed. And I think that's why we now have a little bit of a hint into the authority of Jesus. Not just the rightful king of Jews, he's the rightful king of the universe. So this book, beginning in chapter 1, is going to establish his authority. It's going to tell us that he's the rightful king. By the end of the book, we're going to hear what we just read. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. That means it's not limited in any way. And today, what I want to do is just do a little bit of a review of this book to be able to see the authority of this great commission by which Jesus tells us to go out and make disciples. I want to see the activity of that great commission by which he tells us to go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all things I've commanded you. And the last thing is I want to find the assurance of that commission by which he says, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so if you'll start with me in verse 18, where it says, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. This becomes really, really important. I love the fact that you have so many young people that are a part of the church today, whether you're a teenager, whether you're college age, or whether you're one of these young children. You need to understand the authority of Jesus Christ as the rightful king. And here's why it's important. Because you guys have more access to information and more religious theology and more ideas than any generation before you. If you want to know a little bit about different religions, all you have to do is ask Google or ask Siri. Hey, Google, tell me about Islam. Hey, Google, tell me about Hinduism. 
And when you hear about all these different religions that are out there, and there are people around who are telling you all these roads are the same, they all believe the same thing, any, any religion is all good for you, that's when you need to hear the exclusive claim of Jesus by which He says all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Because Jesus is not just another option. Jesus is not just another teacher. He's not just another prophet. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And in establishing this, then we're coming back to realize that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. All the grandparents in the room can help me and say amen. And all the parents in the room can say help, help me and say amen. Because for this generation of young people that's so confused by the plurality of ideas that are out there and by all of the different opinions, they need to come back to establish this. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, the authority of Jesus was established not only by His heredity. He's the son of David and the son of Abraham. But He also established His authority through the words that He speaks. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gave a sermon on the mount. On that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would teach in such a way that by the time the Sermon on the Mount ended, here's what everyone had to say. You guys, this is amazing. Take a look at me. Make sure you're checking with me on this. They said, they said, who is this man? Because he teaches as one having authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. You see, he, his truthfulness came not from a seminary degree or certificate he had or a particular ordination he received. No, no. He is teaching having authority. He had the full kind of authority by which people were amazed, even at the words that he spoke, because he was speaking words of truth to them. But the words of Jesus were not just establishing his authority. It's not only that he's authoritative in his words, it's also that he was authoritative in his works. I want to encourage you a little bit later today to go to Matthew chapter 8 and 9 and read about the authority of Jesus, not only in the sermons that he gives and the words that he speaks, but I really want you to hear the authority of Jesus over by the works that he had produced. All right, let me give you a couple examples. There was a Roman centurion. A Roman centurion would be an officer who was over at least 100 men. That's why he come up with the name Centurion, because of a Centuria is a, like 100. So he's over at least 100 men that are there. He's an officer. He's a true Roman, and so he's someone who is of, uh, from Italian descent. And so this Roman Centurion, it says, had a servant that had become sick. The servant was sick, and there was no other options for him, and so he had sent to Jesus. And he sent a message to Jesus saying, I know that you're a healer, and you can come and you would heal him. So Jesus immediately said, okay, I will come. But that's when the centurion kind of threw a kink in the works. You see, the centurion came and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should even come into my house. I'm a centurion. I'm a Roman. I'm a Gentile. I don't want you to defile yourself by coming into my house. But you know what? I understand authority. He even put it this way. I am a man of authority. I say to this servant, go, and he goes. I say to this servant, come, and he comes. Because I understand authority, Jesus, I know that if you just speak the word, that my servant would be made entirely well. Jesus said, well, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. There's no one else who recognizes that it's not about me touching them. It's not about me spitting in their eye. It's not about me rubbing some sort of clay on their face or their eye. No, no. I don't have to be there to heal him because I have all authority of heaven and earth. And my authority is such that I can give a command and this servant will go and this servant will come. And this Roman centurion who understood authority knew that Jesus had all authority in heaven and on earth. And that when Jesus had authority, he had authority over disease. He had authority over sickness. He even had authority over death. Jesus had authority 
And this Roman centurion understood it. It gets even better, though, in Romans chapter 8. Because just after that, Jesus took his disciples, and they went on a journey. They went across the sea. And while they were on the Sea of Galilee, it says that a storm picked up. The storms in the Sea of Galilee. By the way, some of you may have visited Israel and have seen it with your own eyes. I've never had the opportunity to visit Israel. All the trips I've been doing are international trips to minister to pastors, mostly in Africa and India and the developing world. I just wish God would allow me to go on a trip where I can go to, to Israel someday and learn in that holy land. That'd be a wonderful treat. But so far, I'm just willing to go to minister all these pastors in the developing world. So, what I've been told is that the Sea of Galilee is down in this, um, in this like, cavernous areas down below hills. And so the wind will come off of the hills and stir up in such a way that the, the storm become violent and the waves become very, very dangerous. And imagine this. Jesus is with a bunch of fishermen, professional fishermen. They've been out on that sea plenty of time. They've been there when there was some sort of storm. But this storm is bad enough to where they were terrified that they thought for sure they were going to die. And when they're out there terrified that they would die because this storm is so bad, they finally wake up Jesus and when they wake Jesus up, he stands and he says these words, Peace be still. And as soon as he speaks the word, everything's quiet. The storm is quiet. The wind is silent. The, the waves go from being boisterous. They, they didn't gradually get better. Immediately, peace over the whole place. Perfect calm. And then the disciples turn and they said this, What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? I'll tell you what kind of man he is. He's a man who has authority. He has the authority over the wind and the waves by which natural elements would obey him. And the reason they would obey him is because Jesus was more than a teacher, more than a prophet, more than a miracle worker, more than a do-gooder. Jesus was the creator. And as the creator who, spoke, who created the wind and the waves and the storms and the seas, when Jesus says, peace be still, they had to obey him because he had authority Authority over disease, authority over the elements, but it gets even better. Because when he reached the other side, and it says that they got to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and when they reached the other side, there was a demon-possessed man who came out to him. Now, there are a couple of different accounts of this demon-possessed man coming out of the fields, but in this case, what we're told is that this man was, was uh, demon-possessed, and he's troubled by numerous demons. They even called them legion, meaning that there would be a huge number of them. And, and when Jesus, by the way, cast those demons out and they entered into a herd of swine, it seemed that there were so many of them that they could even possess the whole herd of swine and drive them, drive them down into the water and kill them. But, but here's what I want you to note about this man. I want you to note about this man that he had been driven out of... He had been driven out of his home. He'd been driven away from his family. He was in utter isolation out in the middle of this field totally isolated. He's, he's consumed by death. I mean, he could live wherever he wanted, and he chose to live in a cemetery. I'm sorry, there's something just a little bit wrong about that. He's consumed, obsessed with the ideas of death, and then not only is he obsessed with death, but he's cutting himself because he's so tormented within his spirit. And by the way, I used to think, for all of you young people that are here, for some of you parents, I used to think, Man, that seems pretty strange. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's demon-possessed like that. I mean, it seemed like it's so, like, they should be frothing at the mouth or something weird would be happening. But the more I read about this guy, the more I start realizing, wait, the devil is still tormenting people today. 
Maybe, maybe demon-oppressed people don't look the same way as what we thought. I mean, think about this. Someone who's bound up with chains and even breaks the chains. Do you know of anyone who's just bound up with addictions that they're just not able to overcome? Because, man, there is a real devil and real demons who want to destroy people's life. Do you know anyone who's just isolated, totally out there on their own, been rejected by everyone else, and frankly... In these last three years, we've seen how the, the isolation of people. Some of those, some of those are our loved ones who've been isolated in nursing homes where nobody can even go in and see them. I heard a story about one mo mother who ended up dying in a hospital all alone, and her 15-year-old kid wasn't even able to come in and say goodbye because we, as a culture, isolated them off on their own. Something's just wrong about that. And it's something more than just being legislation. There's something spiritually, on the spirit level, wrong with what's going on. So here he's isolated. And then how about this one? The cutting himself with the stones? I used to think, man, that seems so odd until I started discovering nowadays there are a lot of our young people that are so filled with despair and hopelessness and emotional trauma that I know young people who cut themselves thinking, okay, well, the physical pain at least eliminates some of the emotional pain that is there. And by the way, if you're struggling with some of those kind of things, cutting yourself, harming yourself, maybe even having ideas of suicide, you need to know that I'm not telling you that you're demon-possessed. That's not my point. My point is that there's a real devil who wants to bring you to a place of destruction. Here's what the Bible says about him. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And that devil and his demons are out to destroy and ruin your life. And I want you to know that no matter where your hopelessness is, there is someone who can deliver you. There's someone who has some hope. And that's what you've come to hear about today. Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Here's what I'm getting at in this case. In this case, this demon-possessed man, tormented by all of these things that were there, oppressed by the wicked one and the demons that were there, those demons, they came and they said this to Jesus. It's amazing. They said, we know who you are. Have you come to torment us before the time? You see, they knew who he was because Jesus is the one who created all of those demons. You're like, what? Why would Jesus create demons? Hang on. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were made by him and for him. That means that all of those angels that Jesus had created for his purpose, when they defied him, when they went into the rebellion, they were still under his authority. So that when we say Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, he has authority not only to speak to the wind and the waves, they obey him. He speaks not only to disease and it obeys him. He has authority also over demons. And even the demons have to obey him. We know who you are. Of course they know who you were. Someday you're going to face him and someday he's going to throw you into eternal punishment, you demons. And they're asking the question, are you coming to torment us before your time? They know exactly what's going on. They know who Jesus is. And as a result, they asked his permission. Think about this. They said, would you permit us to leave this man and to go into that herd of swine? Because even the demons couldn't do anything without the permission of Jesus because he has all authority of he in heaven and on earth. Here's what I want you to know. That no matter where you're at, no matter what you're questioning, whether it's sickness or whether it's elements or whether it's demonic, supernatural things, I need you to hear that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth and there's no one who's more powerful than him. When we're talking about spiritual warfare, it's not something for us to be terrorized by or afraid of, because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Can someone say amen about this? 
Uh, because Jesus has all authority over heaven and on earth. And here's what I want us all to know in spiritual warfare. Jesus is seated far above every principality and power and throne and dominion. And every name that is named. And Jesus is the greatest name. He has all authority. He has the authority even over demons. <laughs> but it gets even better. Because in chapter 8 and into chapter 9, he not only has authority over disease, he not only has authority over the wind and the waves, he has authority over, over demons. But then, when he's on that side, and now he's with some people, he's healing a bunch of individuals, they're bringing in all kinds of sick and infirmed people, and there's four friends who have a paralyzed brother, a friend, and they want to get to Jesus. They're like, well, if Jesus can heal everyone else, he can heal my paralyzed friend. And so they bring him on his bed, four brothers or four friends carry him by the four corners of the bed. And when they get to the house, they can't even get into the house because there's too many people that are there. So someone comes up with a great idea. Hey, let's go around to the top. Let's go to the roof. And they cut a hole through the roof of the house. I don't know whose house it was, but that would have been a little disturbing. You're cutting a hole in the roof of my house. And then they lower their paralyzed friend down to where Jesus was. And when Jesus saw this paralyzed man and he saw the faith of the friends who had brought him, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus turned to him and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Everyone that had heard what he said was filled with all kinds of uh, anger. And they're saying, This man blasphemes. Because who has authority on earth to forgive sins? It's only God who's able to forgive sins. But Jesus, knowing all their thoughts, turns to the false teachers, the scribes, the Pharisees. He says, stop being troubled about those things so that you might know that the Son of Man has power or authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the man and he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Because Jesus not only had authority over disease, over demons, Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. And here's the question. Who is able to forgive sins? Only God. That's the point. Jesus is far more than a man, far more than a prophet, far more than a guru. Jesus is the eternal God who came with authority so that we could follow Him. And the authority of the Great Commission says this, All authority is given to me on heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. I think it's really important for us to establish today the authority of Jesus. And some of you are like, Jeff, why are you taking so much time to really camp upon this? I'm camping upon it because the authority of Jesus is what's under attack in this pluralistic age. Everyone wants to tell you, oh, well, you follow Islam. That's no problem. Follow the prophet Muhammad. Oh, follow uh, Hinduism if you want to go that way. Follow whatever philosophy or whatever religion or whatever idea you have. Stop. There's only one who has all authority over heaven and earth and is by only the name of Jesus that can be, people can be saved. Do we believe this? Do we really believe Acts 4.12? There is not salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And some of you maybe are sitting there saying, wow, this guy seems so opinionated. This guy seems like he's so dogmatic and bent on his weight. It's not my dogmatism, it's Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by me. My friends, one of the reasons that we're not taking that great commission very seriously is because we haven't been living act, act like, or we haven't been acting as if Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And today, right now, I want to establish it. He is that little boy who grabs the sword and pulls it out, but I'm not talking about a legend. I'm talking about everything about the life of Jesus. 
is demonstrating that he is the one who has all authority. Not just to be the king of the Jews or uh, king of an ethnic group. No, no. He is the king of the universe. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Can anyone say amen and help a brother out on this stuff? This is great, great truth. Now I want you to consider not only the authority of that great commission, I want you to consider the activity of the great commission. Here's what it says. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, we have made all of that activity about one word. We think that the, word, uh, that the activity of Jesus, the main obedience to the commission, is the word go. Everyone says, oh, go. As long as you're going, wait. There's only one active verb that dominates the whole sentence. And then there's three participles. By participle, we're talking about a verbal adjective. We're talking about something that supplements, that tells us more about it. The only action or the command that is given is this command, make disciples. What's a disciple? It's easy, a follower of Jesus. Someone needs to follow Jesus. Why should people follow Jesus, George? Because he has all authority in heaven and earth. That's the point. And everyone needs to follow Jesus. So we want everyone else to follow Jesus. And we want them to follow Jesus, not just in Sunday school, not just in a Sunday service, not just in theology. We want them to follow Jesus on every element of their life. So here's how we really should translate this. The translate is, isn't go. You see, we've confused it. We think, oh, the Great Commission is sending people to China, sending people to Africa, sending people down to Brazil. No. The Great Commission is about making disciples, helping people follow Jesus. It can't be any more clear than this. So what are the complementary things? What are the things that they say? Well, here's an attendant circumstance. He says, while going, make disciples. See, when it says go and make disciples of all nations, the way they go, oh, well, the word go is the command. No, the command is make disciples. The participle says, while going. Are you guys ready for this? While going where? While going to China? While going to Africa? While going to India? No. Get ready. While going to MMA practice? While going shopping with your kids? For me, while going golfing? Or while going skiing? Or while going about your daily business? See, here's the point. You're always going. But what he's telling us is that everything you do has significance and importance if through those activities you're helping people follow Jesus. Too many people think, oh, following Jesus, that's going to church, going to Sunday school, going about religious activity. Let's, let's realize that you can go to basketball practice and make disciples if you're helping people follow Jesus. Let, let, let me give dignity, let me give significance to every activity you do. Running up and down the front range, sharpening shears. Guess what? That thing's meaningful if you realize that while I'm out here, I'm helping people follow Jesus. It gives dignity and purpose to every activity I do. Too many people think that it's, oh, well, this is for pastors. This is for churches this, or for missionaries. No, this is for every Christian. That means when you're going to business or if you're going into politics, you're helping people follow Jesus. Well, what, what do we do then, Jeff? While going, we make disciples. And then he says this, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things. Now, I'm not going to go into all the theology of baptism. I'm glad that there's a baptism service coming up this week. But let me tell you, this command is not about water baptism. It's primarily about spiritual baptism. Let me describe both. There's a spiritual baptism, which is God's Spirit placing you into the body of Christ and making you a new creature. That is now pictured through water baptism. And water baptism is only an outward physical sign of a spiritual reality. So when you go see this baptism this week, 
whatever form it takes. And frankly, it doesn't matter to me if it's sprinkling or immersion or if it's pouring water on them. If it's immersion and they're then you're picturing how someone is buried with Jesus in baptism and they're risen to walk in newness of life. That physical picture is representing the spiritual reality. And here's what we're after. We're after the spiritual reality. To baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost is to bring them to a personal relationship with Jesus by which they can be born again. So, someone out there needs to follow Jesus by being born again. We can help them be follow Jesus by being born again. Bring them to the gospel. Bring them to Christ. Second thing, not only are we baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we're also teaching them to observe all things. The teaching them to observe all things is not just doing a navigator book study or doing a Bible study that you do on Tuesday nights. Teaching them to observe all things is recognizing that if Jesus has all authority over heaven and earth, then what Jesus teaches about marriage is important. And we need to follow everything that He teaches about marriage. Hello? Does anyone know that our culture is totally confused about marriage right now? When they can't figure out how to stay together. They can't figure out how to love their wife as Christ loved the church. They can't figure out how to... And as a matter of fact, they're so confused that they can't decide, is it okay if it's male, female, same sex, or whatever. They're so confused because they haven't been listening to all that Jesus commands. Jesus doesn't just tell you about Sunday school. Jesus tells you about marriage and family. Does anyone know that family is under confusion today? In the world, they're, how they're telling you to raise their children? Total chaos. But if you come back and say, wait, Jesus and His Word, the Bible tells us about raising a family. It talks about marriage. It talks about family. It talks about sexuality. You know, in a room like this, there's got to be, there's bound to be someone who's like, man, you know what? It's so confusing, all this gender identity stuff that's happening nowadays. The world seems so confused by that. What do we do? We teach them to observe all things that God has commanded us. We come back to the Bible and realize that the Bible is not just for Sunday school, but the Bible is for all of life, including human sexuality. The Bible tells us how we should think about the value of every life. The Bible tells us that there's law, principles of law and justice. And all I want us to know is that if the church is going to really make disciples, if we as the church are really going to be the salt and light of our culture, then we've got to stop putting ourselves into the four walls of a building and thinking that we're serving Jesus by what we do in this building. The reality is we're coming into this building to find the encouragement and support to go out and follow Jesus and minister and serve Him at school and on your soccer team or basketball team or when you're coaching people or when you're in business. You see, following Jesus is applying the truth of Scripture to every part of life. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in your lifetime, I'm just looking at some of our older folks that are here today. In your lifetime, the church has lost its influence on our culture. But the reason that we've lost our influence on our culture is because we've been telling people discipleship is all about doing a Bible study. Wait, discipleship is about following Jesus. Let's take what Jesus says about all these elements of society. I mentioned earlier prison reform. Prison reform is taking what Jesus has said, the principles of Scripture, and applying them to that area of life. Listen, I've told you that the authority of Jesus in this great commission gives dignity and value and purpose to every activity you take. Because if you use that activity, and while going, you're helping people follow Jesus, great. But let me tell you even more. It gives dignity, value, purpose, eternal significance to every relationship you have. Every relationship you have. No matter where you go and hit, who you get involved in, is either going to be a person who is an unbeliever who needs to come to faith in the Lord Jesus, 
or they're a Christian who needs to grow in their walk. And now those relationships are meaningful to me because it's not just the elders, it's not just the paid pastor that is making disciples. It's us. If we're helping people come toward a step of following Jesus by, by believing in Him or to teach them what the Bible says about it. I, I don't know if I'm being very clear today. But Matthew is presenting the authority of Jesus in such a way that we realize that Jesus' authority as the king is not just king over a few select people in a church building. He is king over all elements. And wherever there's culture, wherever there's influence, we should be applying following Jesus to the culture and world around us. Let me see if I can make it more plain. Teenagers. Are there any teenagers in the room? Would you raise your hand? Teenagers. For a whole generation, previous generation, when I was getting grown up, Basic, the basic message was, hey, serve Jesus by being a pastor. Serve Jesus by being a youth pastor. Serve Jesus by being a camp director. Serve Jesus by being a missionary. I'm going to change all of that. I want to tell you to serve Jesus. And if he calls you to be a pastor, be a pastor. But maybe he wants you to be a lawyer. Does anyone know that we need Christian lawyers that are going to follow Jesus and bring biblical principles of law? Because we need to bring Jesus' authority to law. Can someone say amen on that one? We need Christian police officers. If God calls you to become a police officer, then go be the best Christian police officer who comes to church to find encouragement and goes out into this community. Because as an example, all of the confusion in our country about justice reform, will, the answers will never come from Washington, D.C. or from Denver. The answers are going to have to come from Christian policemen, Christian district attorneys who are bringing biblical principles and are teaching us to observe all things that he's commanded us. Maybe it's a lawyer. Maybe it's a politician. Maybe it's a mother. You're going to go as a mother. Raise up a generation to follow Jesus. All I'm telling you is that this great commission and the authority of Jesus applies to everyone in this room today. And we can all have the privilege of the activities that we do are meaningful because we help people follow Jesus. And the relationships that we have are meaningful because everyone we're rubbing shoulders with all the time are people who either need Jesus or they need to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And here's the great news. We don't have to do it on our own because Jesus said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Some of you are like, wait, you're telling me I, I can go and go to basketball or soccer practice and help people follow Jesus. But man, that's scary. Think about all those people. Wait, you're not going alone. Jesus is with you. And let me remind you something else. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And with all His power, with all His strength, we can go and we can serve Him faithfully and we can represent Him well. You know what? I think maybe I created some questions. Does anyone have a comment or a question as far as closing this session up? Does anyone say, wait, you know what, this part wasn't clear. I think you need to clear that up. Is there anybody with any kind of comments or questions that you have? Raise your hand. Wave it at me because I have some blindness issues, so I'm not going to be able to see you. Anybody? Comments or questions? Anybody? Well, I must have been really confusing. That. <laughs> let's bow together, please, and let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the authority of Jesus, that he is the rightful king. And we right now bow our knees before this rightful king, and we declare Jesus as king of all creation. He's king of my own life. And I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you as my king, wherever you lead, whatever you'd have me to do. We want to thank you that you remove confusion. And Lord, maybe there's some... Maybe there's some guys and girls today who have been awfully confused about who they should believe, who should, they should listen to, who they should follow. 
I pray, Lord, that maybe they've got some clarity where they say, okay, I recognize Jesus is more than any of the others, and Jesus is who I need to follow. I pray, Lord, today that they might come to salvation. And then, Lord, I pray that you'll help all of us to determine that wherever we go, whatever relationships we have, let us help people follow Jesus. We know that in this day and in this culture, boy, there's such a need for people to follow Jesus. Hey, with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, before we sing the song and close out the day, is there anyone who would say, yeah, you know what, Jeff? I had a lot of confusion about Jesus, but when you talk about his authority, when you talk about him being the rightful king, that makes some sense. And boy, you know what? I really do need to believe in him and follow him. Is there anyone who raise your hand and say, yeah, Jeff, I need to follow Jesus. I was confused before, but now I want to follow Jesus. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone who raise your hand and just give me an indication? Yeah, I want to. I'd like to pray for you. Anybody like that? Then, Lord, I pray that we as Christians would be able to be encouraged by this message and follow it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.